Good evening and welcome to Jewish Insights. Jewish Insights on Parshas Vayakel. We have spent a lot of time in the past speaking about all of the different things that were involved and connected with the construction, the development, the building, and the funding of the Mishkan. The Mishkan is the tabernacle. Today, we're going to ask ourselves a question about giving charity at night. We spent so much talk time talking about funding the Mishkan now. Are you allowed to make a fundraiser at night? Well, that's an important question. Let's figure this one out. Um, as an introduction, the Rebbe would hold Fabrengans. Fabrengans were atten attended by typically up of 5,000 people every time. And it, would, I uh, it wouldn't be hard to say that a couple times throughout, um, throughout the... Um, the Rebbe's time of leading for bringings, there could have been 10,000 people standing there in 770. And one day you'll go visit 770 in New York and you'll see its size, and you'll be like, Wow, how do they fit so many people in here? And the answer remains a secret. I don't know, but what I what I do know is that at the end of the Fabrengans, the Rebbe would distribute dollars to people who would then pass it on to others in the at the event and then they would be charged with a mission to give it to charity so in effect the rebel was giving uh, giving out money for others to do a mitzvah with okay effectively years 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 um, like not years later but the rebel became famous between five seven between 1986 until 1992 when it stopped the rebel was famous for, for holding weekly sunday dollars sunday dollars was the whole Sunday afternoon from like whatever late morning all the way till the line was done people would and this we're talking about six seven hours at a time easy people would line up and this is what this was your moment to get a second in front of the Rebbe if you had a question you could ask it then if you wanted to be in the Rebbe's presence this was a perfect experience to get there and it was based around the Rebbe giving a dollar to the person walking past. And the person walking past was then charged with a mission to give that dollar to Tzedakah. Now, not everybody gave that exact dollar to Tzedakah. Instead, they exchanged it for a different dollar, kept this dollar for safekeeping because it was from the Rebbe's hand, and then they passed it on. I have... Back from the uh, framer, it's still not hung... I have here a dollar that was given to um, was given to my mother, and she gave it to me as a wedding present, and we framed it in this thing with a picture of the Rebbe, etc. Okay, so there you go. So that's one of those dollars right there. Okay, now um, why am I telling you this? Because the Sunday dollars was normal, was became was normalized, but the after Fabrengan dollars. Now there's something about that, and that's it, that's the topic of tonight's conversation. At one Fabringen, the Rebbe said, "How can it be that I'm giving out tzedakah money, handling tzedakah money at night, giving it, giving people this opportunity? What's the issue? We'll talk about it." And that's an introduction to where we're going right now. So please, let's get, um, let's get, um, Rebbe Shmuel, can you read for us, please, the first comment? Um, don't spend money after Shabbat. Yes. Rabbi Yehuda the Hasid 
writes in his will that one should not distribute money on Motzei Shabbat, the evening following Shabbat. There is also a well-known story told over by my father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, that his father, Rabbi Shalom Dovner, Dovder, uh, the fifth Rebbe, instructed his wife not to ask for money for the expenses of the home on Motzei Shabbat, but rather to do so either before Shabbat or on Sunday. Okay, awesome. So you would have noticed the, in this first piece, the Rebbe refers to Rebbe Yehuda the Chassid. And Rebbe Yehuda Chassid writes, writes in his will. Okay, so this is the mention of the will in the topic, in the subtitle. He, this, is, this is where it begins and ends. Okay, but here it is. Rabbi Yehuda Chassid uh, was one of the greatest masters of the esoteric part of Torah in the 12th and 13th centuries. And he was a famed Jewish leader. In addition to his famous books, which he wrote, he also wrote a famous will. This will is called Tzavas Rabbi Yehuda Chassid. Or in, other, in English, it's called the will of Rabbi Yehuda the Chassid. Okay. Now, um, uh, by the way, writing wills and leaving um, intense amounts of information in the will is a normal thing for prolific Jewish writers. Um, and uh, I've got a list here of famous Jews who wrote um, last wills and testaments that had a lot of information in them. One of them was a fellow called... Rebbe Eliezer ben Rebbe Yitzchak from Worms, Germany. Another one was the Rosh, who wrote, um, who was one of the leading rabbis in Spain in the, in the same era, 12th, 13th century. Then another one is the Tor. The Tor is the, um, he, the author of the 14th century legal code. And the Shalor, who, is, um, who, who wrote, his name was Rebbe Isaiah Halevi Horowitz. Okay, and many, many more people did it. However, this this will, authored by Rabbi Huda Chassid, is like the most famous. So famous that parts of it have been incorporated into Jewish law. Um, so famous that you'll be familiar um, with some of the things that it says in the will. So ha, let's try this. Have you ever heard about a person not a person? Let's say their name is Yaakov. Shouldn't marry someone whose father's name is Yaakov. They sh a person shouldn't marry someone whose parents have the same name as him. Have you ever heard of that idea? Okay, classic Jewish idea, very typical. I'll tell you that my cousin, his name is Mendy, he's named after the Rebbe. Um, he has like uh, eight girls or something. Now go try find, um, try find a Chabad guy that doesn't have the name Mendy. It's an the I'm the anomaly. We're, like they're all Mendy's. Okay, it, that, the joke is that we call them, in fact, in fact, here's the bigger joke. Um, you know, we send out the student rabbis to do visits during Hanukkah and before Pesach and during the summer. So um, the, this past Hanukkah, I was in Macon speaking, at, uh, speaking, you know, socializing at the public menorah lighting. And um, a bunch of ladies said to me, you know, we really like the, the Rabbi Mendel that came to visit. As it happens, both rabbis this year, in fact, there were three of them, they, came, they went in two different groups. But three rabbis, each of them, their first name was Mendel. So I said to the lady, which one was Mendel? So she describes to me what he looks like. The other lady who was standing next to her, who was visited on, the, on a different night by a different Mendel, says, but that, that wasn't the Rabbi Mendel I met. They had all met different people. Okay, so there you go. Okay, fine. That's a complete digression from the topic at hand. Yes. The TV show, or an old TV show, where they, this guy has two brothers, and he introduces them as my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. Okay, there you go. Look at that.
Rabbi Mendel and my other Rabbi Mendel. Exactly. This is trouble. This is real trouble. Okay, here's another, here's another idea. Maybe you know this one. Um, okay, I don't know. I don't know. Here's, they say, um, don't bury rivals next to each other. You ever heard of that? No? To me, it sounded like common sense, but clearly it's common sense post knowing this piece of information. Don't leave a grave open. Also kind of common sense. But another piece of um, this. Uh, don't ask someone to be a sandik. A sandik is the person who holds the child during the circumcision. So don't get the same sandik in the same family more than once. Okay. And there are many more. There are many, many more. Amongst all of these things, um, amongst all of the things that Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid wrote, one of the instructions that he has in his, in his will is, don't give charity at night. Okay, so next time a charity collector turns up at your house at night, you tell him, sorry, I'm very religious. Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid said not to give charity at night. I'm out. I'm not available right now. Come back in the morning. They never come back. Don't worry about it. Okay. So, with such an introduction now, let's read Avoiding Charity at Night. Um, and this is, this is a review of the comment I said. Off you go. Uh, let's pick someone. Alan, please. Uh, avoiding Charity at Night. Furthermore, regarding charity in general, the Jerusalem Talmud writes, when a certain sage gave charity at night, claim was lodged against him, accusing him of overstepping the boundaries of the other side. Seems to raise a question with regard to charity distribution right now. It is now evening, and it's also Motzei Shabbat. Okay, so the Rebbe is saying this at night, at the end of a Fabring, and he's saying, I'm about to give out dollars, and there's two problems. Number one, it's after Shabbos. Motzei Shabbos Another another reason why not to give out charity, and then for, and then it's night time. Another reason why not to give out charity. So two reasons why not to give charity at night. We need to investigate this. The Rebbe says I need to have to, I have to answer um, the question that you should that you might be asking about me. And source number one tells us the the um this is from the Jerusalem Talmud, and this introduces the this uh, reviews of of explains. Or brings a source for the previous comment that Alan just read of not giving charity um, at night and what would be the issue with that. So let's ask Juan, can you read for us source number one, please? Papa used to distribute his charity at night. One time, the minister of evil. Encountered him. The angels say to him, "Did not our teacher, Hashem, teach us do not displace your neighbor boundaries?" Uh, Rabin Hinena replied, "But is it not writing? A gift in secret appeases anger." Don't know. We have to give at night, so the recipient does doesn't know the uh, gifter. The angel appeared, Rabbi Hinena, and flipped. 
Okay, so this, thank you, um, thank you, Juan. Let's see if the next comment explains what we just read. No, it doesn't. The next comment doesn't explain it at all. What we just read, um, in the English with the fill-in comments over there, allows us to understand just a little the idea that Rabbi Chanina Bar Papa, Chinina Bar Papa, would, would specifically give his charity at night. Why? He wanted to protect the identity of the people who were having to receive. They were, they, were, they were proud. They didn't want to be. They didn't want to have to receive. And so they were embarrassed to go get. But if he did it at night, when it's dark outside, no one can identify another person. So then no one would know that Yankel is receiving a gift. So an angel one day comes over to him and says, there's a verse. There's a verse that says... That you can't do what you're doing. What's the verse? The verse is, Do not displace your neighbor's boundaries. The boundary of nighttime belongs to um, the, the sinister side, the evil side, the demonic side. By the way, this is the demon mentioned in the, in the, sub, in the subtitle. At this point, Rabbi Chinenot says back, My answer to you is, it's a, from Proverbs 21-14, it says, A gift in secret appeases, appeases anger. So he said, I'm safe to give tzedakah at night because I'm doing it secretly, which means that it's going to appease any anger, which means I'm not going to be under the dominion of, um, of anything evil happening to me. That is at least the way I understood Source 1. If you disagree with that, you're invited to share your view. But... Moving to source 2, source 2 tells us that the famous Arizal would give charity to the collector during the morning and afternoon prayers, but not during the evening prayers. So here you go, yet another source fortifying and explaining and, uh, and telling, teaching us not to give tzedakah at night time. Okay, if you are worried about this, let me know. Let's go to... Um, the next piece, the next piece of the Rebbe Sicha, and let's get Rebbe Shmuel. Can you read it again for us? Most fundraisers are after Shabbos. The answer. It is customary in many locales, and especially in the United States, that when fundraising meetings are held, they are for the most part held together with a Malava Malka, the customary feast of Motzei Shabbat. These are charitable fundraisers held by institutions whose leadership know about the teaching in the Jerusalem Talmud and the will of Rabbi Yehuda the Hasid. In other words, this is an issue that has already been widely dealt with. Okay, thank you, Reb Shmuel. So, uh, it's a very, it's an interesting paragraph. An interesting paragraph that um that I'm getting faces for. Here's the idea. Number one, what's a malava malka? Malava malka is the is the meal that you hold after Shabbos to 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 um because we don't want to let go. We don't want to let go of Shabbos, so we keep the vibes of Shabbos after Shabbos, by having a Malava Malka, translates as escorting the queen. The queen of Shabbos came, and with this meal, after Shabbos, we send her, we escort her um, away. That's the idea of the Malava Malka. But, what's this thing about charitable fundraisers on Monte Shabbos, after Shabbos? Well, um, when you will go to visit places like Borough Park, or Williamsburg, or Lakewood, or other centers of Jewish life, you will discover that, that Saturday night is a convenient night for people to stage 
fundraising dinners. And at the end of the Sikha, the Rebbe tells us why. Because people aren't going anywhere. On Sunday, you don't have to go to work. So you can, you can stay out late. And you can experience the entire event without having to leave. And you might actually make a gift. But the bigger comment should not be ignored in this, in this paragraph. The second paragraph says that they all know about the will. So how do they do it? As I read it, I thought to myself, what an important lesson. The, the Rebbe seems to be saying that when, when you encounter someone who looks like he knows what he's doing and seems to be doing something that doesn't fit, so you could go in multiple directions. One direction could be you could immediately protest. How dare you do something that doesn't make sense in my paradigm? Option two, when you meet someone who looks like they know what they're doing and they're doing something that seems not to fit, you say, what's the deal? Let's presume that, that you've got the right position. Perhaps you can explain this to me. And I think this is an important lesson for all of us, especially us young, hot-headed hot people. We should not run to judge, but rather ask and, and deliberate and discuss and uh, attempt to discover. This brings us to section B, the mitzvah of the generation. And it's at this point that I raise a question for all of you to, to give us a guess on. Every person has their favorite mitzvah. Every person has, every time, every era has its favorite or most important mitzvah. What would you say is the most important mitzvah in 2022? Reb Shmuel. Um, not, not speaking ill of others, not Splashon Hara, not speaking. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, yeah. Okay. I take, I accept it. Alan, give us a guess. No, uh, I, I say, I mean, for me, it's Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam. Okay, I like it. And Juan, give us a guess. It's, uh, it's uh, happiness. Happiness. Simcha. Each of these are fantastic mitzvahs. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's go. We're going to discover something that the, Re the Alter Rebbe writes, teaches us, what is the most important mitzvah of our generation? Get ready. Let's go. Um, Alan, can you read for us, please? Charity in our generation. We can explain this matter by analyzing the following statement of the Alter Rebbe in Tanya. In these times, when the approaching footsteps of Mashiach are close upon us, the principal service of God is the service of charity. Sages of blessed memory said Israel will be redeemed only through charity. Sages of blessed memory did not say that the study of the Torah is equivalent to the performance of acts of loving kindness, except in their own days, for with them. For them, the principal area of divine service was the study of the Torah, which is why at that time there were great scholars. However, this is not the case in a time when the approaching footsteps of Mashiach are close upon us. And the sukkah of David has fallen. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. When the Alter Rebbe began his, his school of teaching, when he began his physical school, 
he had a um, a test that that the students had to go through. He had hazing. Do you want to know what the Alter Rebbe's version of hazing was? <laughs> Get ready. It, was, it wasn't drinking beer or something, right? I know that. <laughs> it wasn't drinking beer. Um, so in those days, the, 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 great, the greatest brains would get married to the wealthiest girls. Or say the other way around, the wealthiest father-in-law said, I'm going to get the smartest kid in school and make him my son-in-law. And I'll pay him. It's, it, I'll, I'll pay any, whatever it takes to get him. And in fact, the arrangement was that the father-in-law would give a large amount of money. I don't know how much. And then the son-in-law would continue to live on his father-in-law's um, additional gifts as long as he wanted and he would continue to study. Keeping in mind, by the way, people got married a little younger. People got married. I, I know of one famous person, Reb Hillel of Parish, who got married when he was 12. But pe people got married much younger, like like 15. Uh, one of the Rebbeim got married when he was 15, if I recall correctly. This was the norm. So keeping in mind that, of course, I mean, people were independent younger. At the same time, they were more mature younger. And they lived a lot shorter. We're talking about, I don't know, mid-1800s. So one of the Alter Rebbe's demands for um, getting someone into his school was that one had to give away their entire dowry. Everything that they had been given by their father-in-law with which to live a comfortable life for the next X amount of years. They had to give it all away to help poor Jews um, who were farmers or other agricultural things or stuff like that. And they had to give it away, in effect, they had to give it away to Tzedakah. So, um, fascinating. It's an, ama it's an amazing position that the Alter Rebbe was in and some students didn't make it in because they couldn't handle that kind of, that kind of hazing. And other students who made it in became impressive giants of, of, um, of humanity by virtue of having, you know, having shown their devotion, I would call it. Well, in the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says over and over again, the third, the third section of the Tanya is called Igerat HaKodesh. It means his, the holy letters of the Rebbe. And one can see how many, many letters over there discussing the value and the topic of charity. In the letter the Rebbe is quoting here today with us, the, Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe has explained that although the primary commandment in olden generations was the study of Torah, nowadays it has switched the main one is the commandment to give charity. And so, my friends, you're going to turn around and say, Hey, what does that mean? I have a text. I have a, a Mishnah that says that Torah is worth everything. Torah, Torah study is, is valued like everything else altogether. Did anyone know about that, um, that Mishnah? Okay, don't tell us. Yes, you did. Look at that. He did. He did. We read it every morning. That's it. That was my next question for the community. If you recognize source number three, let's get um, Juan. Can you read for us source number three, please? The following, the following are the things uh, for which um, man enjoys the fruits in this world, while the principal reward is not uh, dismissed and remain for him in the world to come. 
honoring one's father and mother's baptizing sedaka and making peace between man and his neighbor, but salutora inequal to all of them. Very good, thank you. So the last, the last words of the um, of this paragraph tell us the the important question that we're all wondering right now: How can the Rebbe just suddenly change around the mission? What do you mean? The mission was studying Torah. It's studying Torah is worth everything else, even charity mentioned in the same paragraph. Not as valuable as studying Torah. How can the Alter Rebbe change the focus of our generation and what is our main mitzvah? take it away from studying Torah and move it over to charity, Tikkun Olam style stuff? Big question. Is anybody else with me on this question? Okay, at least two people are asking the same question, so let's go. The, the Rebbe, this is puzzling. How can one say that the Talmud's statement, the study of Torah is equal to all of them, was only relevant in the days of the Talmud, whereas nowadays the priorities have changed? Bam! Okay, do you think that the Rebbe got in trouble for asking such a question? I don't know. If a rabbi ever tells you not to ask a question, fire them. You have to ask questions. Okay. Um, and here we go. This brings us to a change in the world. Let's get Reb Shmuel. Can you read for us, please? A change in the world. And, and uh, yeah. The answer is that this is not a change in the Torah, God forbid, but rather a change in the world. Since, as the Alter Rebbe said, the world has fallen so low in the days preceding Mashiach, the task necessary at this particular time is to elevate the world through charity. According to Torah law, a time-specific mitzvah outweighs Torah study. The same is true in our case. Standing at the end of the exile, when charity has become a mitzvah of immediate importance, our sages say Israel will not be redeemed but through charity. All the limitations regarding charity donations in the evening or on Motzei Shabbat have become null and void due to the immediate importance of charity. Okay, thank you. So here you go. I'm reading you from for you from a book from my uncle, my uncle's commentary on Igeres Hakodesh. Did you know I have a famous uncle? Okay, now you do. The entirety of Jewish history represents the full scope of the mission of the Jewish people. So all the Jewish history represents the scope of the mission of the Jewish people. As it pans out over the generations, then this mission is shaped in the image of the human body and it is directly linked to the image of Mashiach. When the work of the Jewish people becomes complete, the image of Mashiach is completed as well and we merit the redemption. So once everything is done, then we're ready for the Gula. The generations of the Talmud lived in an era of Torah. It represented the chapter of the head and heart in the historical human pattern. Therefore, Torah study was their primary focus. In those generations, they were indeed qualified for such work. So since those generations were the head and heart times, so they were, they were Torah study times of Jewish history. But in our era, the final time before the coming of Mashiach, which is called the footsteps of Mashiach, so our primary focus is matters of feet and heels. We're coming to the bottom of the human body and the, the scope of, of Jewish history. And like the Alter Rebbe says, the sukkah of David has fallen to the level of feet and heels. 
Our mission lies in simple deeds like the act of charity. Okay, so there you go. And that came out of Rabbi Adin Evan Yisrael's commentary on Igeris HaKodesh. And what we've learned from the two paragraphs that Rabbi Shmuel just read for us is that it's not the it's not the it's not that the value of the mitzvah has been diminished or lost. It's that the point of time where we are in the Jewish line in 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 the universe's story is that now we need to make the most of the small stuff. Now it's time to sweat the small stuff. What's the small stuff? Small acts of goodness, small acts of charity, small actions of taking care of others and of and of things. And we'll discuss that at length very, very soon. But how phenomenal. Just a moment ago we were saying, hey, how can you change the direction and what the mission is today? And now we, now we understand somewhat differently. We're not changing the mission. We're revisiting what's important right now to get us to the end goal. All the mitzvahs are important. Torah is still connected kula, valued against all of them. But right now, to get us to the end goal, the small, the small act is what's important. One more coin in the box. Okay, that brings us to America and charity, and let's try and find out why it, which country, which country is the best at charity. Let's take a look. Let's give it to Alan. Can you read for us the entire page eight and the first half of page nine? This also explains why this custom to hold fundraising events on Motzei Shabbat originated specifically in this country. The arrival of Jews in the United States was a godsend. Originally, it was difficult to understand why God caused the Jewish people to immigrate to America, a land dry of Judaism, a place which presented so many spiritual challenges in the early years. But after the upheavals in the old world, heaven protect us, it became obvious that the purpose of the establishment of the Jewish community here was to earn significant wealth and be in the position to rescue their brethren in Europe. This is not, however, the time to discuss this at length. Therefore, since the American Jewish community excels in fulfilling the mitzvah to give charity, it was here that the custom developed to hold fundraisers also on Motzei Shabbat, there, thereby emphasizing the vital importance of charity in this generation. The superficial reason is that people do not work on Sunday, Wall Street's closed, and by scheduling the events on Motzei Shabbat, the fundraisers will not have to worry that people will leave early in order to get to sleep early in order to run off to work early the next day. They will therefore be able to patiently sit until a later hour and sit through all the speeches of the benefactors who, of course, in exchange for their donation, want the right to speak just as long as they please without running out in the middle. The inner reason, however, is mentioned above that in the end of the exile, charity has become a mitzvah of immediate importance and cannot be pushed off. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Alan. Uh, it's always cute to notice how the Rebbe slips in humor into um, his speeches. This, this kind of like um, comment was, I guess, even typical, nearly typical of the Rebbe. How the Rebbe like, like kind of laughed off this very normal um, American problem, perhaps. I don't know if it's American, it's a Western thing. So in review of that message, 
the Rebbe is suggesting, telling us, that why did Jews leave Eastern Europe and come to America and go through all of the changes that Judaism went through to be in America in order that they should achieve wealth so that when it will come the time when, when our brethren in other countries are in trouble, American Jewry will have wealth and pull and be able to make a difference. How phenomenal is that and how relevant is it right now? Um, I, as I was preparing this class, I thought there's no way that whoever prepared the curriculum knew what was going to happen um, earlier today. Um, so that's fantastic right there. Look at that. It also brings to mind, we had recently a class in which we spoke about how Hashem always provides the solution before the issue. The Hebrew words for that was makdim rufua lamaka. He provides the um, healing before the pain comes. And in this sicha, the Rebbe kind of touches, not touches on it, we didn't say the same words, but the Rebbe referred, in my mind, I see the connection here, that Hashem gave opportunity for many Jews to leave Eastern Europe, come here, so that when the time came for my grandparents to get out, that someone could fund it. And, um, and you know, and my thanks remain till this day to the joint for helping my, uh, my grandparents get out. There's no question about that. Okay, this brings us all to source number four. And source number four is yet another a story that comes with a with an eye twinkle. Rabbi Shmuel, please, source number four. Once I was in the synagogue at night, and that, well, in a different talk, the Rebbe shared the following story about his own experience giving charity at night. Once I was in the synagogue at night and I deposited some money into the charity box. When someone approached me and argued, how could you do this? After all, it is stated in the writings of the Arizal that charity should not be given at night. Afterwards, when I was with my father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, I told him that I had been chastised that day and I told him the story about giving charity at night. The Rebbe replied and said to me, he probably does not give charity during the day either, and therefore feels bothered when he sees another person giving charity at night. So there you go. That's another way to deal with, another way to deal with the issue of giving charity at night. And you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes a person thinks to themselves, you know, I want to do a good deed, and then I think, hey, you know what? Actually, there's a um, there's a source, there's a reason why I shouldn't do it right now. It's not appropriate. You know, for example, I want to give charity, but oh, hold on a second, it's Saturday night, I'm not allowed to, right? The charity guy comes, the collector comes to your door saying, hey, can you help me marry off my daughter? And you're like, I'm sorry, it's nighttime. I can't help you. Like, it's in moments like that that we need to be um, mature enough to discern what is the right thing to do and in fact in the coming source the rabbi completely does away with with um with with this fear of giving tzedakah at night and on saturday night completely does away with it and this is section c called spiritual charity um so already in 1950 as soon as the rabbi took on the leadership of the chabad movement he would stress the importance of spiritual charity he, t he taught that spiritual charity is no less important than physical charity and perhaps even more significant. Can someone give us a suggestion? What do you think spiritual charity might smell like? What does it look like? What is it? 
doing referentialamas for somebody, um, visiting the sick, perhaps. I don't know if that's physical or spiritual, but giving up your time. Okay, good. So getting out there to help another person, I, to me it sounds, that feels more like a physical charity. Yeah. I'm a bit more literal, literal than that. But in this coming quote, in this coming letter from the Rebbe, which you can find on the internet as well, and it's also here, um, we will discover not only a different, um, a different idea of what spiritual charity is, but we'll also discover um, in doing away pretty sure it's here okay let's go take a look the rebbe our sages who are we going to get to read yaakov do you have the source notes in front of you uh i could pull them up okay so then we will go with alan please read for us the rebbe our sages have taught that through giving charity to a needy person one's prayer secures and draws down a good life redemption and salvation livelihood and sustenance now the human being like all created beings and including even sublime angels body and a soul just as a person can be poor in body and the needs of the body so too a person can be poor in soul and the needs of the soul therefore with regard to charity there is material charity and spiritual charity as our sages teach in tana deve eliyahu rabbah section 27 how does one fulfill the obligation of the verse in isaiah 58 7 when you see the naked, clothe him. If you see a man who has no words of Torah, bring him into your house, teach him Shema and prayer, teach him and encourage him to observe the commandments. Just as each man and woman among us asked to be inscribed and sealed for a good year, materially and spiritually, so should each one of us exert himself in extending both material charity and spiritual charity, particularly in the days of Elul and Tishrei. Keep going. Uh, go for it. Go for it. And as we stand during the, these days before the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He, each man and woman among us will have in hand a large account, large in proportion to His ability of acts of charity that He has undertaken to save the pauper in body, and acts of charity that He has undertaken to save the pauper in soul. Just as with material charity, even a person who is materially poor is under an obligation. For there is no poor man who cannot find a way to help a fellow pauper. So too with spiritual charity. Even a person who is spiritually poor has an obligation to give. For there is no Jewish man or woman who cannot influence the sons and daughters of the Jewish people and bring them near to the fear of heaven and to the Torah and its mitzvot. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, let's go back to the second paragraph of what we just read. At the, closer to the bottom, there's the verse from Isaiah. When I read this the first time, I needed to go back and try to figure it out. So just go back to that verse and you see, when you see the naked clothing, that's the verse. That's the quote. And the Tana Devei Eliyahu teaches us how do you fulfill this. This verse of when you see the naked clothing, which sounds like if you see a person and he doesn't have clothes, give him clothes. Right? That's the, that's the simple one. Right? But they want to say spiritually how are you going to fulfill this if you see a man who has no words of torah bring him into your house and teach him the shema and the prayers teach him and encourage him to observe the commandments that is how you do spiritual charity if you know aleph go ahead and teach aleph if you know one thing about judaism and you meet someone who doesn't know that teach them 
share with your neighbor, with your friend, with your pal, another thing about Judaism. And then in the last paragraph of this, of this section, um, the Rebbe says, like tzedakah, a physical charity, when you give somebody a dollar, right? If, you're, if a person is, God forbid, Hashem should help, a person, a person is a pauper, and all he has is a dollar or two to his name, is he exempt from giving charity? So you're, the first answer is, what do you mean? He has nothing, what's he going to give? The second answer is, he can help, he can go, he can do, he can be. A poor man can, can stand and say hello to every single person he sees and, and wish them a good day and lift up their spirits. He can tell them a joke, a good feeling. Anyone can give. Well, if a poor person physically can still do tzedakah, so certainly a spiritually poor person still can give. Even a person who just knows one mitzvah can continue to give and to do and pass the baton forward and pass on the goodness. If a Jew knows an Aleph, he should teach another Aleph. And so, here we have these two principles that we've, that we've mentioned. Number one, spiritual charity. And that everybody has something what they're able to give. This was said over many times, maybe even thousands of times. And it's this message today that we're reading tonight that really emphasizes how critical this mitzvah of charity, physically and spiritually, is in our time. This is the last things that we need to do in order to bring on the Geula, the immediate redemption, and at which point we will be returned to our home in Israel um, in good health and, um, and in good spirits on the wings of eagles with God's blessings. My friends, thank you very much for joining and good Shabbos. Good Shabbos.